0: How many of you have ever dug a hole, like a hole in the ground with a shovel or something, right? Okay. A lot of you have had that experience in life. My dad was a do-it-yourself kind of a guy. And so throughout the years, we had a number of uh, home improvement type projects that we would do together, and many of them needed a hole, whether it was a post hole dug into the ground. We even dug a few holes in the ground for like ponds. These people put ponds in their yards for whatever reason. And so uh, <laughs> never made sense to me at the time. But but I can remember a number of times when we we're digging these holes with shovels and post hole diggers saying to my dad, I don't, un- I mean, I get what we're doing here, but there's got to be an easier way. Like you do know that they make these, uh, these machines, they're like these power augers that will go right down into the ground and you can rent a backhoe to do this. I don't understand why we're doing it this way. And sometimes his response to me was, well, you're building character. You're learning how to work hard. And I thought, uh, I think you're just cheap. I think you just don't wanna, I think you just don't wanna go rent the machine. Uh, I mean, I get what we're trying to accomplish here. Uh, I think there's got to be a better way, right? I want you to hold on to that idea. Uh, we're going we're gonna to swing back to that here in a little bit, but I want to kind of introduce this series and where it came from. Uh, in 2018, Pastor Craig Grishel wrote a book entitled, or actually released the book entitled Hope in the Dark. That's the name of the series. And uh, it's a good book. The, the subtitle is Believing God is Good Even When Life is Not. So I would encourage you to, to check that book out if that might be helpful to you. I actually put a link on our digital bulletin. Uh, you just click on that. It'll take you to a place where you can buy it if you'd like to. But when he wrote the book, it, the inspiration for it came out of some very difficult, painful experiences in his own personal life, as well as some uh, the lives of some people that he really cares about and loves. And I want to thank Pastor Craig Uh, for providing free of charge. He gives away the graphics. He gives away a lot of these resources for free, uh, and we really appreciate that. I believe that this topic is not only going to be helpful to us, the topic itself, but I'm also, the reason I chose this particular topic, not only is it, I think, timely in the the tension and struggle that we find ourselves in, uh, but I'm using it to set us up for a series that I'm working on for the fall. This series the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And when we get to the fall, I'm working on a series in Ezra. Ezra, the book of Ezra, another Old Testament book, is on the other side of Habakkuk's experience. And so we're going to hopefully set things up. Hopefully it will be something that will learn some great things that will be helpful to us. As we walk through tension in our lives, but also when we get to this series in Ezra, I I hope that what we talked about here will better prepare us to engage in what we're going to learn in the book of of Ezra. I also want to let you know on the digital bulletin, I put some uh, links to some videos. They're right there. You just click on them. You should be able to watch them right from the website. Uh, One is from the Bible Project, and one is from Dr. Randy Smith who is, uh, he runs the Great Commission Bible Institute. It's one of our Keras Fellowship guys in Florida. And uh, it's, he has a series called One Hour, One Book. And this one's only, it's only three chapters. So it's only a 37 minute video. But these videos, if you get on there and look at them, watch them this week, they're going to give you a bigger picture of, uh, of the book of Habakkuk. They're going to give you maybe some better insight into how they, how that book ties in with the rest of the Bible, how does this book tie in with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm not going to have time to cover everything uh, that you could possibly know about the book, but these things, I think, are good tools for you to get on and check out this week. So you'll find those. Go to the website, gracefellowship.online, hit the digital bulletin, scroll down through there, and you'll find these resources available for you. As we begin this series, I want to introduce you to the man known as Habakkuk. Now, I just want to say right off the bat that uh, f- my whole life, I've always pronounced it uh, Habakkuk. I don't know how you pronounce it. I've always pronounced it Habakkuk. And then I was watching the video I was just telling you about from Dr. Randy Smith, and he pronounces it Habakkuk. And I figured he's the guy with the doctorate, so I better start pronouncing it like the guy, right? He probably should know how to pronounce it better than I do. So if I if I... Pronounce it one way or the other. Uh, Forgive me if I switch back and forth. I've always pronounced it one way, and I'm trying to learn this new way, Habakkuk. Anyway, the book itself is found in the Old Testament. I'm going to ask if you would grab your Bibles and join me there. And you will find it among the rest of the Minor Prophets. The Minor Prophets are a collection of books that follow a collection of what's known as the major prophets. So books like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. If you're if you're working through your Old Testament to find it, you'll find the books of uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, and, and Ezekiel. And then there's another collection of prophets known as the minor prophets. And you'll find Habakkuk in there with them. I wanted to give you a quick distinction between why some are considered major prophets and why others are considered minor prophets. It has nothing to do with the quality of what they've written. It has nothing to do with the importance of what they have written as well. Uh, no one no one decided to rank them in order of who's, who, who has the best prophecy, right? It's not like uh, there was a draft day for prophets and uh, you know The ones that could prophesy better than the others, the, they got called up to the majors and everyone else got stuck in the minors. That's, that's not what it's about. It's really only about length, uh, length of what they wrote. If, uh, if a prophet wrote something that was longer than one scroll, they got put into a category known as the major prophets, and there's a few of them. Uh, and if it was one scroll, uh, then, uh, then they were considered, they were collected, they were organized under, under minor prophets, okay? But here's what you need to know. Even though what we're going to read is only three chapters long, we're one chapter a week, uh, you need to know that what Habakkuk wrote has great and significant value. I think it has significant value for our understanding of who God is. I think we're going to learn some important things about the gospel, Uh, and how we interact with the gospel of Jesus Christ on a daily basis. I think there's some significant value that we're going to pull out of our study in in Habakkuk. Habakkuk himself was a man of great faith in God. Uh, He he was solid in theology. He had a really good understanding of theology. It's possible some scholars believe that he might have even been a worship leader at the temple. He lived about 600 years before the birth of Jesus, and he was alive during the reign of King Josiah. Now, if you know anything about some of the kings throughout Israel's history, King Josiah was one of the few good ones. Uh, he was a godly king. He led people uh, towards God in the worship of God and obedience to God, and uh, he lived during that time period. But he also lived during the time period of King Jehoiakim, who was a terrible, awful godless king and led people away from God. And during that time period, Jeremiah the prophet had warned the people that God would would discipline, would punish uh, Israel if they didn't turn away from this corruption. And for many, many years, uh, Jeremiah warned the people that Babylon would come and destroy the city, destroy the temple, and that they would be exiled. And and nothing changed. The people continued to be corrupt, and Jehoiakim, the king, continued to lead people away from God, and, and what Jeremiah prophesied came true. And Habakkuk lived through all of this. He saw the good days of prosperity and righteousness, and he saw the bad days of corruption and, and just some terrible things that happened to people uh, when, when Babylon did come in and take over. he saw and experienced all of that. I want to talk about his name, not just how you pronounce it, uh, but I I think Habakkuk's just a really cool name. I think it's a great name. I kind of wish that we had named our son Habakkuk, right? Hannah and Habakkuk, right? That would have been kind of cool. I think that would have been fun. I'm going to suggest that to him, see if maybe he would be interested in changing his name. Probably not. But I wanted to let you know what his name means. Habakkuk means, I want you to write this down or at least try to really remember it, it means to embrace and to wrestle. To embrace and to wrestle. And we're going to come back to that meaning, write it down, hold on to it in your brain because I want to come back to that as we apply what we're going to learn from chapter 1 in our everyday lives. I think that the meaning of his name is really going to help us uh, make some practical application to what we're going to learn. Okay? Here we go. So you got to remember two things. You got to remember my story about digging a hole, right? We're going we're to hit that one again. And I want you to remember that Habakkuk's name means to wrestle and embrace. You got it? Okay, here we go. Chapter one, I'm going to start in verse two. This is what Habakkuk prays. He prays this How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight the law has become paralyzed there is no justice in the courts the wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has come become perverted does that sound familiar do you kind of feel that you feel it right habakkuk could see how judah how his people how his leaders had been heading in a wrong direction ever since josiah king josiah had died and his son Jehoiakim was leading the nation away from God. And he describes what the nation had become. Look at some of those words that he uses, violence and destruction. And everyone is arguing and fighting. There's there's contention and injustice. The rich exploit the poor. Justice is perverted. The courts are corrupted. The, The leaders are easily bribed. Right and wrong, were upside down. We can relate to that. And as we relate to it in our current experience, it's frustrating, isn't it? It can be very frustrating. Well, Habakkuk complained. He prays about this to God. He complains. He brings his complaint to God. And he demands, God, you see what's going on. Why don't you do something about it? You need to do something about it. And he asked this question. You you see what's happening. We're praying, Lord, that you would do something, that you would intervene, but you don't seem to be listening. Why don't you listen? Why don't you act? Don't you care? Are you indifferent? I wonder if you have ever felt like Habakkuk on more of a personal level. I think right now we kind of collectively feel what he's writing on a national level. Or even international level. but what about on a more personal level? Have you ever felt like what Habakkuk or Habakkuk has prayed? How long, how long am I going to cry out to you, Lord, for help? And it doesn't seem like you're listening. We've been praying for a long time to have a child, and nothing seems to be happening. The only thing that we seem to be experiencing is disappointment. And heartache, and we keep crying out to you, but you don't seem to do anything about it, God. I've cried out to you to heal this disease in my spouse, in my child, in my parent, in my friend, and yet it seems as though things are getting worse, not better. It seems like it's becoming uh, more of a heartache to walk through. I don't see you. I don't see you sending any relief into their life. I've been praying about this person that I love. It's my spouse, it's my child, my grandchild, it's my my, my sibling, my friend. I've been praying about their heart. They are far from you. And you're the only one who can change their heart. And yet what I see, even though I pray every day that their heart would be broken, their life would be changed, all I see is them drifting farther and farther away from you. You need to wake them up, and I I, I don't see it happening. How long must I call out to you for help? But You don't listen. Some of that frustration happens when we know that God can do something about it because we believe that He is sovereign and all-powerful. Sometimes you wonder why He doesn't. And we might even wonder, does he not care? Is God indifferent? Is he interested in something else and just doesn't see me? Right? People have had these questions. When they walk through tension, when they experience pain and suffering and difficulty and struggle, it doesn't help sometimes where you have well-meaning people. And they, they are. They're well-meaning people. And they say things that just aren't helpful. They may say something along the lines of, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to uh, remind you that God is in control, and they might say, well, listen, you you just need to remember God's in control, just let go and let God. And you hear that, and you're like, okay, I know they're well-meaning, and I know what they just said is theologically accurate, but it kind of came across as like a Christian version of, you need to suck it up, buttercup, and and... And move on. That's kind of how it feels sometimes. When you're in pain, you don't need platitudes. It's not helpful. Sometimes you wonder, I don't understand the fairness issue. God just doesn't seem to be fair. I I, I do the right thing, right? I, I go to church and, and I stay awake most of the time. And you know, with, with, with Pastor Mark, that's you know, that's something. You gotta give me, you know, bonus credit for that. I don't post pictures of myself online doing things that would basically communicate to the world, hey, I'm no different than someone who doesn't believe in God. I don't do that stuff. I tithe, I read my Bible, I pray. Why am I struggling so much? When all these spiritual slackers and degenerates seem like they are experiencing a struggle-free life, it doesn't seem fair. I don't know if, uh, if you remember this show or ever saw it, but me and the kids used to watch this show called Mythbusters, I think it just reruns on now, but Mythbusters was a really cool show that we used to watch together, and, and the premise of the show was they would take something that has been claimed, kind of in, in, uh, throughout our country or whatever, there was a claim, and then they would put it to the test to see if it was true or not. For example. Uh, there's this claim that police radar doesn't work in the rain, and so they would they would test that they would see if that was true or not. Or uh, this one I can remember my dad again going back to my dad and just being cheap. He, he used to tell us he used to tell us uh, no if you put the windows down it saves gas instead of running the air conditioning. Really is that true? So they would they would take things like this they would put it to the test to see what was true or not. Well, mythbusters well the christian author warren weersby wrote that one of the biggest myths that needs to be busted is thinking quote when you trust jesus christ as your savior you get rid of all your problems and it's false now there is one significant problem that you get rid of when you trust jesus as your savior right your biggest spiritual problem of sin is resolved that's true right separation from god and eternity in a real place called hell is a serious problem and when you trust christ as your savior from sin and hell your greatest spiritual problem is resolved your relationship your broken relationship with god is restored so that that is true that's a permanent resolution to that problem however when you trust Christ as your Savior, now you've got a whole new set of problems. Because now you've got, to, you've got to walk through and work through this tension of believing that God is all-powerful, of believing that God loves us so much that He would sacrifice his own son on our behalf so that we could be forgiven so that we could be made right with him so that we could have eternal life like he was willing to go to that extreme because he loves us and yet there's this tension of why does he still allow us to suffer and struggle and walk through ten- tension in this life right now some of you are probably hoping that I'm going to that I'm going to take like take you to one verse, like this one amazing verse, and it's going to resolve all of that tension for you. That's what Habakkuk was hoping. He was hoping that that God was going to respond to him and clear it all up and say, you know what, you're right. Thanks for reminding me to do the right thing, Habakkuk. That's what he was hoping. God does respond in verse 5. Look what God says, the Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own days, something that you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. And Habakkuk hears this, and he's like, yes, finally God is going to do something. Finally God is going to act And do something about this problem. He's going to do something amazing. Something incredible. Something beyond what I could think or imagine. This is going to be good. Verse 6. Here's what God's doing. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians. A cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down and devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives Ahead of them like sand, they scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, time out, time out. That's your answer. Your answer is the Babylonians. That's your solution. You're going you're gonna to punish Judah with a nation that is worse than Judah? I mean, you, things are bad in our country, and you're going to allow something that's going to make things worse? It wasn't the answer that Habakkuk was expecting. It's not the answer that he wanted to hear. Verse 12, Habakkuk says... O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But it's not making sense to him. He writes, you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? It's not the answer that Habakkuk was expecting. He, he couldn't understand why God would choose to resolve the problem this way. He's like, I, I was praying for revival, Lord. Why don't, you, why, don't you do, uh, why don't you bring revival in a different way than this? Why don't you? Uh, why don't you give King Jehoiakim like really bad irritable bowel syndrome so he dies from it? Like get rid of him. Give him something terrible so he dies, and and uh, and then bring us a better king. Like bring someone to power, like King Josiah, who will lead our people back to you. Why don't you? Why don't you give us a great prophet who will lead? your people to repentance. By the way, God did that, right? Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, he, he already tried that, right? He didn't understand why Jerusalem and the temple had to be destroyed. Why do our people have to die? See, the result of this was that the people would be exiled for 70 years, We'll talk about all of that when we get to the book of Ezra, on the other side of that. But that's what God was doing. And uh, Habakkuk did not like the answer that God gave him. He didn't understand why God would choose to bring revival through punishment. There's got to be a better way. Why use a nation that's far more evil than Judah? That didn't seem fair. You're going you're to reward Babylon. You're going to reward them with victory and, and more power and more wealth. You're, you're going to reward them. They're evil. There's got to be a better way to answer my prayer for revival. Like, Kind of like how I felt that day digging a hole. There's got to be a, I, I understand, the hole needs dug. I get it. There's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a better way than this. Have you ever felt that way? you felt like Habakkuk when you say, "Lord, I, I, I get that you want to accomplish something good, and I accept that. But I don't understand why you're doing it this way. I, I I don't see what you're doing. I don't see how we're gonna how we're gonna land at something good. I I don't get why I have to struggle so much to get. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be an easier way to accomplish what it is you want to accomplish." You know, Jesus prayed something very similar the night of his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? Father, if, there, if there's another way to forgive sin besides the torture and death that is ahead, let's, let's do that plan. But then, what did Jesus say? But not my will, Father, but, but your will. I want to ask you a personal question. And when I say personal, I mean, would you wrestle with this? personally, and not the person beside you, in front of you, behind you. Would, you, would you wrestle with this question personally? What do you do, you personally, what do you do when God does not answer your prayer the way you want? How do you handle that? How do you respond to that? What do you personally do when, when God doesn't answer your prayer when, in the, you know, in the time frame that you want? How do you respond? How do you deal with that? Do you get angry? Do you pout? Do, do you pull away from God in disbelief? Do you be, do, does your heart become hard and bitter? Throw your hands up, well, I guess God doesn't care, so why should I care about what God cares about? Is that how you respond? Do you act like the kid in the grocery cart at the store? fusses and fusses and fusses until he finally gets what he wants from mom or dad? Do you act like that spouse who likes to use the manipulation tool of the silent treatment? It's fine. You want to treat me like that? I just won't talk to you until you do what I want you to do. See, these manipulation tactics might work on a spouse. They might work on a certain parent, but they don't work on our Heavenly Father. Besides that, there's a better way. There's a better way to handle our struggle. There's a better way to handle the tension and spiritual confusion that we experience in this life. Now, I want to take you back to Habakkuk's name, because I think the better way can be seen not only in his example, but in his name. Remember I told you his name means to wrestle and to embrace, to wrestle and to embrace. That's exactly what Habakkuk does with all of his struggles uh, with his spiritual confusion, he brings that confusion. He brings his dissatisfaction to God in the forms of questions. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. And he wrestles with God over some very honest questions that he has. But did you notice how he approaches God, like in verse 12? My Holy One, you're eternal, you're, you're our Lord, our rock. You're pure. No one can, you you can't stand the sight of evil. Habakkuk continues to embrace faith in God. Even as he wrestles with these honest questions that he has, he never stops embracing a genuine faith in God's goodness, in his faithfulness, his righteousness. He continues to believe that God is in control, that God will always do what is right and what is just and what is best. It is okay to express your heartache to God. It is okay to express your confusion to God and and to ask Him honest questions. Now, you may not get an explanation And it may not even be the answer that you want, but it's okay to have honest questions and take them to God. But here's the thing, if you want to be able to have those honest questions and not end up in a place of anger and bitterness and a hard heart or in a place of disbelief that is drawing you away from God, then you have to not only wrestle with the honest question, but you have to also continue to embrace your faith in God's sovereignty, in His goodness, in His grace, in His faithfulness, in His character. You know, I think about some of the the questions that you and I might have, just honest questions, and I I can see how those questions could lead us into some really great places. Maybe asking an honest question is going to lead you to search a little bit deeper into your own heart. And discover what you really believe about God. Not what you say you believe about God when everything is right in the world and everything is sunshine in your life. But what do you really believe about God when life is hard? Maybe those honest questions will help you discover what you really believe. And then you can wrestle with those questions and your faith can grow deeper. Maybe asking honest questions will reveal a weakness in your faith that you didn't even know was there until you walked through the tension of that struggle. And then once you realize, man, this is a weakness in my faith, Lord, I need you to strengthen this. I didn't even know this was here until I walked through this. Maybe asking honest questions will help you experience the loving faithfulness of God And it will finally move you beyond this surface-level relationship that you've had with him. If I'm going to be honest with you this morning, for me, 2020 has kind of been like one long siege of irritable bowel syndrome. It's like one. But you didn't think you'd hear about IBS twice in one sermon, right? You probably didn't think that was coming. But it's kind of felt like that for me and my family. And as we we all walk through the struggle and the tension of life right now, here's what I know God's been doing in my heart, in my family, in my life. God has revealed over this year, He's revealed some weaknesses in my faith that I didn't know were there. And given me the opportunity to allow Him to strengthen those places in my faith. That's been good. God has deepened my desire for community. He he has intensified my sense of urgency to share the gospel with those who need to hear it. He has stripped away some desires from my heart, not even necessarily bad desires, just desires that were getting in the way of God's best for my life. He's reoriented some priorities in my life, and maybe they weren't even bad priorities, but again, things that were just getting in the way of something that was better. God has simplified some things that I had made overcomplicated. God did all of that through the tension, through the struggle uh, of things that I don't understand, that I don't know where it's all headed. I don't know where it's all going to land. There's things that I still don't understand. I don't understand why all the toilet paper is is gone. I, I still don't get it. I really don't. You know, it's COVID-related IBS. Three times. Three. Three times. You know, as, as we kind of walk through the tension, and it, you can feel it's kind of getting worse before it gets better, right? You feel that. And as... As a man, I feel the responsibility to care for my family. I feel that responsibility to protect my family. And so I'm, I'm doing the same things that probably a lot of you are doing, right, to try to prepare and plan. And, and uh, if things kind of get sideways and get worse before they get better, you know, how do we handle that? You know, I'm, I'm trying to do all that stuff too, okay? But here's something that God's been laying on my heart through all of this tension, and it's this. Nothing wrong with being prepared. But I've been praying that God will not allow my heart to trust more in my provision than I am trusting in His power and protection and His provision. That that I wouldn't be trusting in my own preparedness where I walk away from trusting in Him. So I'm learning that as we walk through this. Yes, I want to prepare and plan and I want to protect my family just like you do. But I don't want to get to a place where I forget that God's still in control and that He's good and that He loves us. And if we walk through difficult days, He's going to walk through it with us. We can trust Him. I don't understand everything God's doing. I don't see what God sees. But I know God's at work in my heart. I know God is at work in my family. I know God has been at work in our church. And He does that through tension. He does that through struggle. And when we are willing to wrestle with honest questions and at the same time continue to embrace our faith in His goodness, in His sovereignty, in His grace, in His strength, in His wisdom, when we're willing to do both of those things, some amazing, incredible things can happen in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our church family. Right in the middle of pain, right in the middle of suffering, right in the middle of our disappointment, God can do some incredible things. James chapter 1, I'll just read it to you. Verses 2 to 4. Dear brother and sister, when when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And we read that, you've heard it before. If you've been around church long enough, you've heard this verse. And and it always kind of... Uh, makes you want to bristle a little bit, like great joy and trouble. Those two things shouldn't be served on the same plate. And yet that's what James connects. Great joy connected to trouble of any kind. Why? He says in verse 3, because you know that when your faith is tested, oh, is that what God's doing? He's testing my faith. When that happens, endurance has a chance to grow. I, I have the ability to grow in my faith. I have the ability... To, to, uh, to, to have this endurance where I can hang in there and persevere when life gets hard? When that endurance grows, when it's fully developed, then then you're perfect. You're complete. You're not lacking in something in your spiritual life. What if, What if what you're experiencing right now, and whether you're sitting in this room or you're at home right now, We're all experiencing some level of tension, some level of struggle. What if what what you're experiencing right now is what it actually takes to get your attention and bring you back to living a Jesus-centered life? Because not every Christian is, right? Maybe that struggle and tension is what it's going to take to bring you back to that. What if what you're experiencing right now is what it takes to build that deeper, more meaningful, more mature faith in your life? That's a good thing. What if what you're experiencing right now is what it takes to teach you, how do you really have hope in the dark places in life? Like, it's it's nice to read it in some verses in the Bible and to know it as a theory of spirituality. But to actually be in a dark place in life and to experience hope and to know what that feels like and to know how to find that hope, and that is a valuable thing. That we learn through the tension and the struggle of life when we have honest questions and when we continue to embrace our faith. I get it. You might wish that God would do these good things in your life in a different way, in an easier way. And it's okay to wrestle with with God and ask Him honest questions. But what's going to keep your heart from becoming angry and bitter? What's going to keep your heart from moving and drifting away from God in disbelief? Is to continue to embrace a genuine faith in God's goodness, in His love, in His grace, in His faithfulness, in His wisdom even as you ask and wrestle with some honest questions. Embrace and wrestle. Those are the ways that we're going to walk through this tension, that we're going to walk through these struggles in life. And we're going to come out on the other side of those things stronger, deeper in love with Jesus, more confident in the power and provision of God. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for my family. It's what I want for your life too. I pray that God will do that in us in the days and weeks and months ahead. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for